And there was some late breaking news right after I almost had this episode uploaded. It looks like Michael Shannon has been cast as General Zod in The Man of Steel, which will contradict some of the news that I have here. But this is literally being has just been released. I'm looking at my phone. It's 4.36 p.m. Central Time, Sunday, the day of this episode. Michael Shannon has officially been cast as General Zod. Uh, Michael Shannon, you may have remembered him from Boardwalk Empire or perhaps the movie Revolutionary Road, but General Zod will be the villain, and looks like Michael Shannon is our General Zod. So I look forward to hearing from you on your thoughts. Without any further ado, here is our episode for this week, Superman Forever Radio, episode 21. Up in the sky! Look! It's a plane! It's a plane! No, Superman Forever Radio, the weekly podcast devoted to Superman. Hello, welcome back to Superman Forever Radio. This is episode 21, and I am your mild-mannered host, J. David Weeder. I want to thank you all for joining me. And every Sunday, we take a topic from Superman's 70-plus years of history, and we look at it in-depth, and normally, we look at an episode of Superman the Animated Series, episode by episode. This week is actually a special episode, since it will be devoted to the winner of Metropolis Idol, a contest that pitted 16 portrayers of the Man of Steel from all kinds of media movies, animation, live action, TV shows, even radio, against one another, and your votes chose week to week who would be the official Superman of Superman Forever Radio. And in just a little bit, I'll be announcing the winner, but first, let's hear a promo from another podcast, and then look at the news for the week. You are cordially invited to attend a podcast that observes the unfolding events of history. Come with me and observe the birth and growth of a legend. From the pages of a ten-cent pulp comic book, to the newspapers, radio program adventures, theatrical films, and more. Witness the dawn of the superhero. Superman. Available on iTunes and at goldenagesuperman.libson.com. Every legend has a beginning. We're sitting on top of the story of the century here. In Superman news this week, Warner Brothers announced the next DC Universe animated movie to follow Green Lantern, Emerald Knights, and Batman Year One in 2011. Justice League Doom will be loosely based on the Tower of Babel storyline in JLA and will be released in 2012. No further details were released at this point. In other animation news, you can own the scores to the DC animated short films from the track team. The release will be limited to 1,000 physical copies and will be available on iTunes, Amazon, and other digital outlets this Tuesday, April 12th. And in movie news, Zack Snyder talked about working with Christopher Nolan on the Superman reboot over at Empire 
Empire Online, pardon me. Here is an audio clip of that little interview. Well, I mean, <clears throat> you know, Chris has been amazingly generous with me, and like uh, he's been, he, you know, he's making a movie right now, <clears throat> but he, you know, takes the time. If I, you know, when we're knocking around ideas for the script, you know, we'll all sit around in, in the room and just kind of, you know, beat it around a little bit and try and figure it out. He knows what it's like to make a movie, and and uh, you know, he wants uh, honestly. You know, he wants just to, us to make the best movie we can, and he's just, like, interested in helping that without, you know, messing up the process. And I think that that's really amazingly generous of him. Snyder didn't give any plot details or any information on the villain for the film, but the current rumor circulating the Internet is that the movie's villain will be Metallo and Lex Luthor, or villains, I should say, and will feature Superman fighting the United States Army, much like you saw in Superman's Secret Origin. Other rumors persist, such as Lindsay Lohan still vying for a role in the film, and Adam Harris in contention for the role of Lex Luthor. However, it is important to note, this is simply rumors. And only rumors. As far as the confirmed cast, Henry Cavill, who will portray the Man of Steel, has been in training to build his body up for the role. In an interview with MTV, Cavill says the script is true to the source material, while updating it for a modern audience. And he also calls the new Lois Lane, Amy Adams, a fantastic, fantastic actress, very talented, and he's looking forward to working with her. And if you prefer Superman movies that have graced the big screen before, don't forget to pre-order Superman the Motion Picture Anthology, which will be released on Blu-ray on June 7th. You can pre-order at Amazon.com or any other outlet. The other live-action Superman movie, Superman Requiem, has announced new cast members Stacy Sobieski, who will play a character named Allie Knowles, and Robert Hartley Winwright will portray Alexander Luther, who is the estranged son to Lex Luthor and the villain of the piece. And that film is slated to hit the internet in November of 2011. And do you think Joe Schuster is important? I do, and that's why I and the Superman homepage want to encourage everyone to vote for Schuster to be added to Canada's Walk of Fame. It's a posthumous honor for those that honored the arts, and if you want to vote for Schuster, please visit canadaswalkoffame.com to have the Superman co-creator added to this honorable walk. And finally, the guest for Metropolis, Illinois celebration, they have been announced. Superman, Re Superman Returns' own Jimmy Olsen and star of the American version of Being Human, Sam Huntington, will be joining Smallville's Black Canary Elena Huffman to sign autographs on June 11th, while nuclear man himself, Mark Pillow, will be at Artist Alley along with Adventures of Superboy star Tracy Roberts Lewis, who played Darla on the 80s television show. The Superman Celebration will be held June 9th through June 12th. For the full details, please visit supermancelebration.net. And stay with me as we will announce the winner of Metropolis Idol right after this promo. Look, up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world! Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com It's been a long road to come to this moment. We started out with 16 Superman actors, and slowly through your votes, we've come to the moment where we announce your choice for Metropolis Idol.
and to help us with this honor via phone from Reno, Nevada, is Lord Darkside. Thank you. Thank you, J. David Weeder. It is a pleasure to be here from Reno, Nevada. I've been doing great with my tour. I appreciate you asking. So with no further ado, it is my honor, my privilege, to announce your Metropolis Idol for 2011. However, before I do this, I must let to all, all of you know, that tickets are still available for my show in Dearborn, Michigan, as well as Toronto, Canada. Uh, Darkside, can we just move on with that? I think people are ready to know who their Metropolis Idol is. J. David Weeder, I was promised that I could share my livelihood with everybody. I don't come to where you work and diminish your ability to promote your podcast. I I don't really promote the podcast at work. I don't think that's my target audience, really. But uh, anyway, let's do what you've got to do, and let's go ahead and announce that winner. I wish you would not be so rude to Darkseid. I wish you would not, J. David Weeder. There is no need for the animosity, and I am in a good place emotionally. A very good place. I've gone through every season of Monk, really like that resolution at the end of the season. Uh, I don't know where your hostility is coming from, but I will renounce this with no further ado, except to say my Sequest DSV podcast will be beginning... Uh, no, 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 no. Apparently, my Sequest DSV podcast is not be- in uh, beginning. I'm getting the uh, head shake from my producer, so after I announce this, I will make sure I Omega beam him, because this was supposed to be ready by now, and I'm very embarrassed. I'm very red-faced. Well, grayish red. It's sort of a strange hue. But with no further ado, I will give you your Metropolis Idol. Ladies and gentlemen, your Metropolis Idol is... Michael Ironside. What? Come on, read the real Metropolis Idol. I'm sorry, J. David Weeder. A man can dream. Your true Metropolis Idol is Dean Kane. But if you like Michael Ironside and Sequest DSV, which was on opposite Dean Kane's show, Lois and Clark, be prepared to join me for the Nautical by Nature podcast devoted to Sequest DSV. Long live Jonathan Brandis, J. David Weeder. Long live Jonathan Brandis. Really? I mean, you really are Nautical by Nature? You're going to do a full-on Sequest DSV podcast? Really? I mean, nobody really watches that show. Nobody watched it at the time. J. David Weeder, Sequest DSV featured not one, but two DeLuise brothers, the spawn of comedian and God amongst men, Dom DeLuise. You will do well to bide your tongue and not insult Sequest DSV in my presence, or from across half the country, since I am in Reno and you are in Missouri. With no further ado, I give you J. David Weeder to talk about your Metropolis Idol. Thank you, Darkseid. I really appreciate you coming on to announce that for us. Dom effin' DeLuise. Spawn of. Thank you, Darkseid. Enjoy the rest of your tour. Thank you, J. David Weeder. Enjoy the rest of your podcast. So, ladies and gentlemen, Dean Kane was born J- Dean George Tanaka on July 31st, 1966, in Mount Clemens, Michigan. He was the son of actress Sarah Thomas and a U.S. soldier named Roger Tanaka, who also gave his name to Dean's older brother, musician Roger Kane. And Dean's father would leave Thomas and the unborn Dean, leading to the father and son never meeting. Young Guns director Christopher Kane married Thomas and adopted both Dean and his brother Roger, passing the name his last name to them, moving the family to Malibu, California when Dean was three. 
Dean Cain attended Santa Monica High School, along with Rob Lowe and Charlie Sheen, winning, and became a superb athlete. Uh, he was offered multiple athletic scholarships to 17 colleges upon his graduation before he decided to attend Princeton. And while at Princeton, he set an NCAA record 12 interceptions in a single season while playing free safety on the football their football team. And Kane would graduate with a bachelor's in history and signed to the Buffalo Bills as a free agent, but would sadly never play a game with them due to a knee injury sustained during training camp. And Dean turned to acting and screenwriting after the early demise of his sports career. He made his name with some high-profile guest appearances on shows like Beverly Hills 90210, before landing the role of Superman in Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, which we're going to talk about a little bit. Following the end of the syndicated Adventures of Superboy in 1992, the film and TV rights to Superman returned to Warner Brothers after many years in the hands of the Southkinds. Development began on new mediums to use the Man of Steel. DC President and Editor-in-Chief Jeanette Kahn worked out a concept called Lois Lane's Daily Planet, which viewed the mythology from the eyes of Lois Lane, leading up to the consummation of marriage between her and fellow reporter Clark Kent. The idea was bought by Lorimar Telepictures, fleshed out a little and retitled to Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, and handed out to Deborah Joy Levine, who had written the series Equal Justice and produced several television movies, with the, and she was handed the mandate that Lois and Clark's relationship be the focus of the show. Using her comic fan brother, Levine drew on the mythology of the character, as well as film influences like the John Wayne movie, The Thin Man, to create a snappy dialogue-heavy pilot, which was given an $8 million budget, which was really high for that time period. And Dean Kane almost didn't get the part of Clark Kent, as former Superboy Gerard Christopher auditioned and impressed the, impressed the producers, and future Hercules Kevin Sorbo was another strong contender. And Gerard Christopher lost the job due to his history as Superboy, and Kane's presence was a little bit more fluid than Sorbo's more uh, stoic, dry performance. So it was Dean Kane's Clark Kent that actually secured him the job as Superman. He was paired with regular MacGyver guest star and star of the movie uh, Tango and Cash, Terry Hatcher. And the cast came together quickly, including Michael Landis as Jimmy Olsen, Lane Smith as Perry White, John Shea as Lex Luthor, and Tracy Scroggins as Cat Grant. And Levine saw the series as a combination of Lou Grant and Moonlighting, with the superheroic aspects in the background. ABC, the network that would air the series, saw potential in the family as a family hour show that would appeal to all ages and slated it for Sunday evenings. The network was concerned with the budget on the pilot, leading Levine to scrap 20 pages of action. ABC, however, despite this, ordered six more episodes of the series before the pilot even aired, which is a sign of faith in the quality of the show. Footage of the series was shown at the 1993 San Diego Comic-Con and met with applause from the audience before the show made its debut on September 12, 1993, in a time slot meant to compete with ratings juggernaut, Murder, She Wrote, and newcomer Sequest DSV, which had Steven Spielberg's name attached and Darkseid's hefty approval. And while the pilot received rave reviews, Angela Lansbury proved to be a lot for the new Man of Steel to take on, and she ended up winning that time slot. And ratings were still strong for the network to strong enough for the network to order a full season. But while the show's writers, the network, and DC Comics butted heads over storylines such as Jonathan and Martha Kent splitting up or Superman discovering the hole in the ozone layer, Dean Kane was looking for an opportunity to use his Princeton degree and write. Kane and Hatcher also bickered with each other, including an incident in which Hatcher had the distance measure between their trailers and the set, 
and when it was deemed that Dean Keynes was a foot closer to the set, Hatcher's trailer had to be moved to accommodate her. Even with the ratings in the very low territory, ABC renewed the show for a second season, but not without sacrifices. Season 2 would see the departure of Deborah Joy Levine, and producer Robert Singer would take over the show with a new staff of writers. John Shay's Lex Luthor was removed as a series regular, and the character of Cat Grant was sent packing along with Michael Landis' as Jimmy Olsen, replaced by dimply Justin Whalen because it was deemed that Landis looked like too much like Dean Cain. And Dean Cain himself admitted on the commentary, yeah, they look like they could be related. In season two, the action aspect of the show was played up more, and it introduced some comic, such comic villains as the Prankster, Metallo, and Toy Man. They even introduced Intergang. And Dean Cain was given the opportunity to write for the show with an episode titled Season's Greetings, which also guest starred his mother, Sarah Thomas Kane. But ratings continued to drop, even though Sequest struggled just as much, if not more. Uh, the ratings did begin to rise slightly towards the second half of the season, primarily due to Terry Hatcher being one of the earliest internet sensations. The image of Hap- Hatcher, draped in only Superman's cape, was downloaded heavily in the early days of the web, making her a certified sex symbol. And the second season ended with Clark proposing to Lois, with the third season opener showing Clark revealing his secret to Lois. The season would follow the engagement, and ratings actually soared, leading to the show to finish the year in the top 25. However, when it was revealed that the wedding was a hoax and Clark married a clone of Lois, things went downhill for the show's fourth season and saw a huge hemorrhage of viewers that felt really slighted by the move. And the fourth season actually featured the actual wedding of Lois and Clark, but the show never recovered, and it actually ended on a cliffhanger due to ABC having signed the show for two more seasons, but reneging on the deal and canceling Lois and Clark, which ran its final episode on June 14, 1997. Dean Kane at this time would be engaged to country star Mindy McCready, but the two would break up nearly a year later in 1998, when Dean Kane would continue on to form Angry Dragon Entertainment, a production company which would revive the show Ripley's Believe It or Not, which Dean Cain himself would host. And he would star in films like Broken Hearts Club and Out of Time with Denzel Washington, as well as have a recurring role on NBC's Las Vegas. In 2000, Cain welcomed, welcomed a son, Christopher, named after his adopted father. He walked into the world with then-girlfriend and Playboy playmate Samantha Torres. And then in 2007, Kane would return to the Superman franchise, guest starring in an episode of Smallville as Dr. Curtis Knox. And Kane would turn to writing in 2009, pinning a sequel to his father's movie Pure Country, which featured George Strait, entitled Pure Country 2, The Gift, when the film saw a limited release in 2010 in theaters. Dean Kane will next be seen in, in the Rennie Harlan-directed film Five Days of August, which will be released in June of 2011. And right after this promo, we continue our look at Dean Cain and his tenure as Superman as we look back on a, an episode that he wrote called Season Greetings from Season 2 of Lois and Clark. So stay with me and we will continue the celebration of your Metropolis Idol. The Superman Fan Podcast is turning over a new leaf for 2011. With the growth of Superman podcasts in 2010 covering the Golden Age of Superman, the Bronze Age Superman, the post-crisis Superman, as well as current Superman stories, I noticed that there was not a podcast which covered the Silver Age of Superman stories. And since I began reading comic books 
in the early to mid-1960s, right in the middle of the Silver Age, I decided it would be a perfect opportunity for me to cover the Silver Age of Superman stories. One week I will cover the Superman family of titles, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, World's Finest Comics, and eventually Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. The next week I will cover the Man of Steel's titles of Superman and Action Comics, as well as the Supergirl stories. And I will alternate episodes in this fashion through 1970 when Mark Weisinger retired. The home website is at supermanfanpodcast.mypodcast.com and expanded show notes are at supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com Your emails are welcome at supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com and I look forward to reading them. The Superman Fan Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network which you can find at www.fortressofbailey2.com slash supermanpodcastnetwork where you can find all of the podcasts covering every era of the Man of Steel. Episodes are also available on iTunes. So join me each week as we fly through the time barrier and journey through the Silver Age adventures of Superman. And today, where we would normally look at Superman the Animated Series, we're looking at Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, Season 2, Episode 9, Season's Greetings. That's greed as in greedy. The episode originally aired on December 4th, 1994. It was directed by Randall Zisk. Zisk. Written by Dean Cain and starred Dean Cain as Clark Kent Superman, Terry Hatcher as Lois Lane, Lane Smith as Perry White, Justin Whalen as Jimmy Olsen, Eddie Jones as, Mar- as Jonathan Kent, Kay Callan as Martha Kent, and guest starring George Jefferson himself, Sherman Hemsley as Mr. Schott, Dom Herrera as Harry, the People's Court host Doug Llewellyn as news anchor, Wheezy Jefferson, Isabel Sanford as Miss Duffy, Sharon Thomas Kane as Pretentious Lady, Denise Wild Things Richards as Angela, and Dick Eight is Enough Van Patten as Orphanage Worker slash Santa. The episode opens with Lois and Clark walking the streets of Metropolis, Clark talking of his love of Christmas, and Lois being pretty blasé about the holiday, which surprises Clark. Clark manages to catch a wreath dropped by a worker from a ladder in front of the Coates Orphanage. Meanwhile, children play nearby, watched by Mr. Schott and his assistant, Miss Duffy, who has reservations about what Schott is about to do. The children begin to gang up on a little girl named Danielle, who is defended by an older boy. Schott calls the children over to show them his latest toy invention, the atomic space rat, which sprays a smelly aroma. Shortly after, the kids turn on each other, with the little boy taking the belongings of Danielle, even just having just defended her. Hearing this, Clark dashes off and changes into Superman in time to use his super breath to repel a myriad of snowballs heading right for Danielle before the w- wishing the kids a happy holidays and flying off. Shot, happy with his dandy handiwork, tells Miss Duffy that the rats will go on sale the next day and every child will want one and become greedy. And roll credits. Opening credits. Coming back from the credits, Clark is still trying to get Lois to love Christmas when a Santa stops him and identifies himself as the worker from the front of the orphanage the day before, or the earlier that same day. It's not clear. The Santa tells Lois and Clark that people have been stingy about giving to the orphanage, and Clark and Lois head to sends Lois ahead to talk with the Santa one-on-one. And back at the Daily Planet, Perry White tells Alice via phone he's looking forward to their first Christmas alone and putting on a red Santa suit and asking her if she's been naughty or nice. 
Jimmy decorates the newsroom with a sign for a secret Santa and explains the concept to staffer Angela, who Jimmy finds himself tongue-tied around. And Lois returns to the newsroom and removes some of Jimmy's decorations, ranting about how Christmas is everywhere and declares that this year she's going to take control and have the Christmas she wants. Lois calls up her father, Sam Lane, who is a doctor on Lois and Clark rather than a general. Meanwhile, Clark and Santa talk about how Santa has been trying to go to the big toy stores, looking for donations for orphans, when Clark suggests perhaps contacting Superman, who is an orphan himself. And maybe Superman can help these toy stores kind of be a little bit more generous. Back at the office, Joan Lois has been unsuccessful in getting her father to return her calls and talks to her sister Lucy, who is in love and spending Christmas with her new boyfriend in Venice, California. And Perry enters the newsroom calling out about the craze over atomic space rats. It drove a 70-year-old lady to knock another lady's dentures out. Elsewhere, Miss Duffy and Mr. Schott mix a new rat vat of his formula, lamenting that his termination from Metropolis Toys the previous Christmas, which is his main motivation for making the space rats, sort of taking revenge on Metropolis. At Farmingdale's Toys, the crowd is turning vicious as Lois and Jimmy try to get into the store to do a story, and the crowd bursts into the store, rapidly grabbing a trampoline to get the toy, even before the store is open. And Lois tests out the toy by spraying herself with it. Superman helps an injured toy store worker and asks him to donate gifts to the Coates Orphanage, which he is glad to do. Schott has a gleeful reception to watching the effects of his compound on the adults, which, for them, makes them act like children. And Schott moves on to step two of his plan, which Miss Duffy is surprised to hear there is a phase two. And we fade to commercial break. When we come back, Lois greedily hoards her rats and is reluctant to share, but sprays Clark and Jimmy with the compound, making them relentlessly want a rat of their own. Along with everything, Clark uses his super breath to literally inhale an entire bowl of candy. Lois calls Lucy again and informs her that she is no longer invited to Lois' Christmas dinner, while Clark and Jimmy race around the newsroom as Lois plays hopscotch. That is, until Perry storms into the room and breaks up the childish bickering. Perry, trying to maintain control, takes the rats from Lois and the staff, maintaining a parental voice. Meanwhile, Jonathan and Martha enter the newsroom, weighed down with gifts, and talking about how crazy the city is, and this will be the last year they go to Metropolis to buy Christmas presents. When Lois helps herself to some of the gifts. And Perry dances in his office, which Jonathan and Martha are surprised to find. Clark catches Lois stealing from his desk and uses his heat vision to melt the heels of her shoes, which Martha witnesses and realizes something is wrong, dragging him by the ear to a side office. Leave it to the kids to know when something's wrong. If you raised a superpowered child, you would have some extra instincts too. In Suicide Slum, Mr. Schott and Miss Duffy call out to some unemployed longshoremen and invite them in on his plan, offering a large sum of money. Clark has, a, has snapped out of the effects back at the office, and he tells his parents that it looks like a job for Superman. One high-speed change later, and Superman confiscates the rats from Perry, who is reluctant to give them up and calls it, and just calls out, what a jip. Back at her apartment, Lois has shaken off the effects of the rats when Clark shows up, feigning the hangover-like effects, after effects of the compound. And Clark gives Lois the name of Harry Hecklebaum, the distributor of the rats, who the reporters come to see, inquiring about who makes the rats, which Harry refuses to answer. Lois distracts Harry, and Clark sneaks a peek at Hecklebaum's invoices, which leads him to the name Shot. Lois tries to invite Clark to her Christmas dinner, but Clark tells her he's heading for Smallville. 
and we are treated to a montage of the atomic space rats being spread from store to store across the city. Miss Duffy tells Shot that she can't continue with him. He used to love children and used to be kind, and Shot shows Miss Duffy a brand new Mercedes he bought for her and a faux fur coat and diamonds he was able to buy her with the profits from the atomic space rats. Leaving a department store, Lois and Clark talk more about Christmas and buying Christmas trees. Lois tells Clark a story from when she was young and bought her own tree following her parents' divorce, which she decorated, but the tree died. Lois tells Clark she should just get a tree and have a great Christmas on her own terms. And Lois brings home a little tree because she feels sorry for the smaller ones. When Lois places a single ornament on it, it slides right off the weak branch and shatters on the floor. Back at the Daily Planet, Lois tells Clark that the compound inside the rats is a psychotropic drug that when boiled becomes fortified with vitamin C, which is awfully convenient. Angela gives Jimmy a Christmas present, followed by Perry, and then half the Daily Planet staff, and Angela accuses Jimmy of rigging the secret Santa and calls him a jerk. Perry tries to comfort Jimmy and tells him that Alice is still missing after he told her that he would rather go to Graceland than spend Christmas with her while under the compound's influence. The orphanage worker shows up looking for Clark, bringing along the little girl from the beginning, Danielle. And Danielle meets Lois, as it's explained that Danielle hasn't spoken a word since her parents' death. Clark tells the orphanage worker that the toy stores are all in, and they'll be delivering the presents that night. And the report comes back on Shot, who used to be a chemist, filling in that he was fired and a warehouse was rented in Miss Duffy's name. There, Shot and Duffy watch the news as the truth about atomic rats is revealed, and Shot says it's time to move to the next phase since their toy operation is now out in the open. As Lois and Clark show up near the warehouse, he sees Miss Duffy handing out teddy bears at the orphanage. Shot, meanwhile, begins to dump his compound into the water supply at the reservoir. At the warehouse, Lois and Clark find it devoid of Shot and his company and finds Miss Duffy's last letter to Shot saying she can't go on with the plan as he's changed. Shot returns and is flabbergasted to find Miss Duffy has left him, but he will. They, Clark offers to tell him where she is in exchange for finding out where all the chemicals went. Near the orphanage, Danielle is able to see the teddy bear in Lois' hand, designed by Shot, along with the atomic space rat, and rushes out of the gate across the street. A carriage almost runs her down, but Shot throws himself in front of it, and both are saved by Superman. And Shot explains that he acted out of instinct and reasons that the rat's effect made her act so out of character. However, Danielle reaches out and takes the teddy bear in response to it, saying Merry Christmas. The teddy bear was created by Shot, and was part of the reason he got fired, is that nobody wanted to buy that anymore. And so, of course, Danielle, speaking as a miracle, telling Mr. Shot that there is more people to people than just greed, and Shot tells Danielle that he made it for her. Aww. And Shot regrets his actions and tells Superman he did what he did with the chemicals. So Superman, armed with the knowledge, flies to the reservoir and boils the chemicals, rendering them inactive. And he takes Perry, Jimmy, and Lois for a gift-filled sleigh ride through the air right to the gates of the orphanage. And Lois tells Superman that she finally had a great Christmas, as Perry finds out Alice is in a hotel downtown. Superman flies Perry to the hotel, and Lois tells Jimmy he won't be coming to the dinner this evening, as she explained everything to Angela, who shows up, as if on cue. And Miss Duffy hangs mistletoe from a tree and tells Shot that her name is Margaret. And all she wants for Christmas is him, before laying a big, huge kiss on him. Lois, back in her apartment, sets an immaculate table for dinner for one by candlelight, when Clark shows up explaining that his plane got delayed. 
He gives her a gift from him and Superman, which is a star for the top of her little tree. Carolers show up outside of Lois's apartment, and Lois wonders where Superman spends his Christmas. As snow begins to fall on Metropolis and Lois and Clark look out to the night. A the end. Now watching this episode, I remember really why I was never a big Lois and Clark fan beyond the first season. I really love the name of the orphanage paid homage to Phyllis Coates, the first Lois Lane on the Adventures of Superman. And the snowball scene came off cheesy, uh, having them flow in the air. It was just the low budget flying effects were pretty apparent. Uh, and they relied heavily on sound effects rather than visuals, which doesn't entirely work in a visual medium, obviously. And Lois wears some horrid outfits in this in this show. I forgot how bad they were. Uh, there's a specific one in the planet scene when she argues with Jimmy about the merit of Christmas where she's wearing a tie and this vest thing. And I don't remember that even being trendy in the 90s. And more horrid is Sherman Hemsley's ridiculously over-the-top performance as the Toy Man, which doesn't really relent until towards the end when you actually begin to like him as a human being. And Terry Hatcher's cartoony turn as the childish Lois Lane, raising her voice two octaves to a nasally squeal, just makes my skin crawl. Dean Cain turns in a great performance, especially his demure look after inhaling the entire bowl of candy. His Superman may never have been the strongest in terms of charisma, but his Clark remains dead on and manages to be mild-mannered but charming. Lane Smith, all I could say is he's the best on-screen Perry White of all time. He effortlessly makes us laugh and respect him while still maintaining his dignity, thankfully. And he shines in the scene where he has to curtail the antics of his childish planet workers. It is fall-down funny. Now, he may have some over-the-top moments, but you, you don't feel annoyed by them. You enjoy them. Uh, pretty much over the top is pretty much the status quo for this episode. It's really, unfortunately, it's written like a Saturday morning cartoon and not in the vein of Superman the Animated Series or Batman the Animated Series, more like the Smurfs or Alvin and the Chipmunks. And while it's nice to see Sherman Hemsley and Isabel Sanford back on screen together and a nice nod to their series, The Jeffersons, when Shot gives Miss Duffy the baubles, it doesn't really help the episode float. The flying effects were really flimsy even then. I remember being really disappointed, but they're more so now. And the scene which Superman renders the Toy Man's compound inert looks worse than something we would see in the 50s TV show. It looked worse than a scene in Superman and the Mole Men, which also featured a dam. And there just isn't the justification for a show in the mid-90s when there was computer technology and there was a special effects house. And Lois and her Christmas woes just got old really quickly, and really, so did the Jimmy subplot with Angela. I'm sorry, but with a degree from Princeton, I expect more from Dean Kane than a pretty standard, it's a miracle, isn't it great that we're all better people, Christmas special episode. So I'm going to give Season's Greetings two S-Shields out of five. Let's have another promo, and then we'll wrap this thing up for the week. Presenting the Amazing Spider-Man Classics Podcast Year 2. Starring myself, John Wilson, along with Joshua Bertoni, Donovan Grant, and your favorite guest hosts of the comics podcasting community. Bringing you the classic 1960s adventures of Peter Parker, Mary Jane, Gwen Stacy, and the gang. As told by Stan Lee, John Romita, Don Heck, Jim Moody, John Buscema, and more. And to kick the year off, we're running a special episode in March with... Uh, uh, hold on, wait a second. 
Hey there, webheads. 12 months ago, a very special podcast came onto your iTunes feed, and to celebrate 12 months of that podcast being on your iTunes feed, we thought we'd take you on a special date to the movies, and what a movie it is! Why, it's about our very own webhead spinner Spider-Man, the first installment of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy, guest starring one of the Power Rangers. Oh boy, we're in for a good time. So strap yourself in, and here's the hosts. This isn't a way a podcast is supposed to work. Peter, you're seeing the Spider-Man Sam Raimi movie without me? Why, no, Betty. I'm seeing it with all my friends, the Amazing Spider-Man Classics listeners, and you're invited, too. Even Liz Allen? Yes, Betty, even Liz Allen. Okay, as long as Ned can come. You know why I hate you, Leeds? Because you have a right to listen to this episode with Betty. The shadow of Spider-Man isn't standing between your earphones. Episode 28 kicks off the new year with an in-film commentary on the 2002 Sam Raimi Spider-Man film. And then we continue on in future episodes looking at the further adventures of Spider-Man, an amazing Spider-Man, spectacular Spider-Man, and every guest appearance and cameo we can find. Only at Amazing Spider-Man Classics, found on iTunes and at AmazingSpiderMan.Libsyn.com. So that's uh, pretty much your Metropolis Idol. I appreciate everybody that voted and participated in it. Uh, it's been a long road. I'm really glad to kind of be done with it at this point and know who you like. Remember that I'm going to be using images of Dean Kane in a lot of the promotional material I'll be handing out at the Metropolis, Illinois Superman Celebration this June. And uh, just to kind of promote not just my podcast, but the Superman Podcast Network. And as an extra note on that, I do want to mention again, don't forget to check out Views from the Long Box, which is Michael Bailey's other podcast, be it one of Michael Bailey's other podcasts beyond From Crisis to Crisis. I will be on uh, episodes 124 and 125, where we discussed uh, Secret Origin, and well, at least that was designed to be the focus. That's the primary focus. But when you get Superman fans together, we tend to go different places. I had a blast recording with Michael Bailey, and I, I just hope you guys like to check out that episode and, uh, of course, come back here next Thursday when we review the the Superman books from May of 2007. So we are working our way through the the post-Infinite Crisis era. And as I mentioned at the very top of the show, uh, I'm re-recording this section just to touch upon it, just because I don't want to re-record an extra episode. And I happen to be doing some extra editing as a last-minute change in uh, the program. Michael Shannon as General Zod. It's been official. And what I want to know is, I'm going to give you some of my thoughts, but I want to know your thoughts on the choice for the villain and the choice for the casting of the villain. So drop me a line at mail, M-A-I-L, at supermanforever.com. And uh, just some of my thoughts. Do we need to see Zod again? I kind of liked the idea. As I mentioned in the episode, I didn't go back and remix the news just because that would have added at least 40 to 50 minutes, and I'm already running a little bit later than normal this week. So I just wanted to touch upon it right at the beginning and then come back here and just say, I don't necessarily want to see General Zod again. I loved Terrence Stamp in Superman 2 way too much to retread on that all over again. I I, kind of like the idea of Metallo. We haven't seen Metallo in the big screen. We had him on Lois and Clark, of course, the animated series he appeared on. And we also had him on Smallville. And as far as the Smallville rendition, that was actually not a bad way to go. And I wanted to see the more Jeff Johns designed uh, Metallo and John Corbin. But that doesn't seem to be the case because Michael Shannon, General Zod, 
I always, and maybe this is just me, I always pictured General Zod as having that British accent, and it may come from Terrence Stamp being such a strong presence in that movie. But Shannon, I don't know. Up until now, I've been great with all of the casting. This one just doesn't enthuse me in the same way. I don't feel the same. There's no excitement. It's just, okay, what else have you got? So at this point, we know who our Superman is and Henry Cavill. We've got Amy Adams as Lois Lane. We have Diane Lane as Martha Kent. Kevin Costner as Jonathan Kent. And then Michael Shannon as Zod. You know what I just realized? Cavill is kind of a, I mean, he's a newcomer, but he's held his own in a lot of really big projects, even working for Woody Allen. Costner's been a leading man. Diane Lane's been a leading lady. Amy Adams has been a leading lady. Michael Shannon's really been a supporting player for most of his career. I don't know that of anything that he really starred in. If anything, I think I will put him in the list of that guy. He's the guy you see from time to time in movies, but you don't necessarily know his name or what else you've seen him in. Uh, to give you an idea, uh, there's an actor who has appeared in quite a few roles just as a background character. And his name is Richard Jenkins. You've seen this guy countless times. I guarantee it. He was in Fun with Dick and Jane, which just pops right off the top of my head. He was in Eat, Pray, Love, which I didn't see, but would have kind of he made me want to see it. He used to be on the show Six Feet Under from time to time. Richard Jenkins, if you Google him, look at a picture, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. That is what being a that guy is all about in terms of casting. Michael Shannon is a that guy. And I want somebody with a presence for this character. If you're going to put Zod in a movie, Zod needs to have that sort of reverse charisma that Superman has. And charisma is defined as when somebody walks into the room and everybody else feels special. Which was a great quote. I really wish I'd had it for the views of the long box. But Zod should walk into a room and make everybody kind of pee their pants a little with his presence. And I don't see Michael Shannon doing that. But that's my opinion. That's my two cents. Feel free to disagree with me. It's a big world and we can all have our opinion. So I want to know your opinion on not just the casting of Michael Shannon. Tell me what your opinion is of the casting so far. Henry Cavill, Diane Lane, Amy Adams, Kevin Costner, Michael Shannon. Email them to me. Let me know. And I just want to hear what you, the listeners, think. And, of course, if you don't want to email me at mail at supermanforever.com, you can hit me up on Twitter. I am at Superman. The number four ever, Superman forever. I'm also on Facebook. You can find me at Facebook. Well, just search me on Facebook. That's the easiest way to go because I'm not going to give you that full URL. Um, you can always drop me a line in a comment box on at supermanforever.com. I do respond to those usually on the podcast. So if you put a, po- a comment on there and I have missed it, it was not intentional. And I tend to want to p- respond on the podcast. And, of course, you can find me at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at the w- at www.thesupermanpodcastnetwork.com. And, of course, I will be back here Thursday when we do our review episode. And this will be May of 20- 2007, so we have three books to do this week. It'll be Superman 662, Superman Batman number 34, and Action Comics 848 which are sitting right in front of me, ready to be devoured as soon as I wrap this episode up, which is now. I appreciate you all joining me. We will talk more about Michael Shannon and the Superman, this Man of Steel uh, developments next week. Um, 
and I just appreciate you joining me. Until I talk to you next time, keep on fighting the never-ending battle. Superman and all related characters, the distinctive likenesses thereof, and related elements are trademark of DC Comics, Warner Brothers Entertainment Company. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not gain profit from the images or related properties belonging to DC Comics or Warner Brothers Entertainment. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster.